Hey everyone, we've got big news. We're doing our first live show in just a few weeks, Monday, November 19th, 2018, at The Resident in downtown LA. It's at 8 p.m., and you can get tickets at residentdtla.com. It's our first live show. Leslie's going to be out here in Los Angeles for only the second time. You know, the only other time was my wedding. So that's how impactful and serious this live show is. You know, uh, uh, you you better be there or you're going to regret not hearing these hot takes in person. Yes. Uh, In fact, we're not even sure if we're going to be recording this. Okay. This will be exclusive to the audience there. We're going to have a lot of cool stuff, too. We're going to have T-shirts, a Mm -hmm. zine, merch, all sorts of good stuff for the Struggle Session listeners. But only if you're there live. Buy your tickets now. This show will sell out. Uh, Hello? Why don't you want to talk to me? Who is this? You tell me your name, I'll tell you mine. (laughs) I don't think so. What's that noise? Popcorn. You making popcorn? Uh Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies. Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Oh, just some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. What comes to mind? Um, Halloween. You know, the one with the guy in the white mask who walks around and stalks babysitters? What's yours? Guess. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Is that the one where the guy had knives for fingers? Yeah, Freddy Krueger. Freddy, that's right. I like that movie. It was scary. Well, well, the first one was, but the rest sucked. So, you got a boyfriend? (laughs) Why, you want to ask me out on a date? Maybe. Do you have a boyfriend? Mm, No. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. What did you say? I want to know who I'm talking to. That's not what you said. I don't know what the idea of myself like, playing video games longer than I should have. Because it was, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was like a big part of my identity in high school. And, you know... Eventually, you know, sitting around with the with the, the fam and like the friends playing Super Smash Brothers or playing like you know, uh, uh po- Pokemon Stadium two mini games, sure. which was like the be- or you know even stuff like um GoldenEye or Perfect Dark. Uh, mm-hmm. But as I got older and after my World of Warcraft phase, sure, I just slowly just became less and less interested in playing video games for long periods of time. So I'm what you're stupid. saying is that you're like a social gamer. I'm a filthy you're casual social gamer. <laughs> I'm a filthy. Yeah. Ca- I'm a filthy casual. You know, both yeah. in my sex life and in my sort of video game life. <laughs> but I think that it's like, obviously, gaming. Being a gamer is an identity. Like being a gamer is an identity, while playing video games is an activity. In the same way, people who like I don't know, who wear sneakers are different than someone who like is a sneakerhead or a hype beast. Sure. Uh, so for me, you know. It's like what I think the statistics show that seventy five percent of people, regardless of gender, play video games between the ages of like sixteen and thirty five. Like seventy five. But then you have a small number of people who are like gamers. Me, I'm just like I like. There are certain games I'm always going to play. Like I always, I'm going to play the new Dark Souls or Dark Souls at you know analog. Sure. Uh, and then like 
everything. I don't care about video game like news or what's coming out because I think the big part of it for me too is like I'm too old to get sucked into open world games. I don't give a shit. Like I get I get option paralysis. I don't want to play GTA. <laughs> I don't want to play the new uh, open world fucking Ubisoft game. Yeah, I get that. I get that, and I get the same way. But I, I just like only do the story in those games. Like I just don't. I like just don't explore pretty much. I just go through, do the story, and that's that. So I think I like story. Dri- I think as I've gotten older, and this is going to sound weird because I don't like. I guess we're going to talk, here talk about Scream, but yes. I, I, so I guess I shouldn't say this. I don't like good movies, but I guess I like. I, like, I guess I like good stories. Like I like a good story. And what's a good movie you don't like? A good movie I don't like. Yeah, what do you um, mean? I don't like, you don't like good movies. I don't like movies that people think are good. I don't like The Witch. I think The Witch is terrible. Okay. I think everything but Black Phillip and The Witch is, <laughs> is, is a waste of time. I didn't like a, I didn't like Apostle at all, uh, which was weird because I loved The Raid and The Raid too. Um, I didn't like Apostle at all. So people tell me I have bad taste, but I think that I like good stories. Um, and a story is complicated. Like you know. It's not just plot, it's characters, it's how the story's told, you know, narrativity, stuff yeah. like that. Um, so I like a nice story. And I think the problem with sandbox games is that the story becomes, uh, you know, a secondary feature to not even the gameplay, which I think is, goes hand in hand with story, but with to like just the sheer scope of the game. Right. Like I would they, argue they built all this stuff. So now they have to like fit a part in the story where you're like, go steal like a fire truck. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah. I would say that the biggest game with like the biggest game I can think of with like the tightest story would probably be like maybe Skyrim. Like Skyrim has like, sure. it has a reason to be so big. Oh, um, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold up. Hold up. Come on. <laughs> I Skyrim, Skyrim. Oh, I I would say that's the exact like you know antithesis of what you're saying. You're defending because Skyrim, like they're procedurally generated like stories and shit. Well, like feel with. I enjoyed Skyrim, but like all those games, like Skyrim and Fallout Three, were just like slogs to me. Those were games that I was only able to put myself through because I was like like single and had free time. Oh, I know. I've never finished. I know, I didn't get sucked in Skyrim. I don't, I don't like the game. Um, oh, okay, I, okay, okay. I, <laughs> yeah. I bought Fallout Four, played two hours of it, and like the walking, like the sheer act of like taking an hour to get to walk somewhere, that like, turns me off. Because I'm like, this is not gameplay. This is like, you're wasting my time. I, I don't plan on buying the new Red Dead Redemption. I don't plan on, um, you know, I guess, yeah, I guess, you know, I'm going to take my, what's it back? The tightest, the, the biggest game I've ever enjoyed that's actually not very sort of like, I would say fits into the sandbox genre. Because I think some people might say that Dark Souls is a sandbox game. I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that. Um, I think it's that's more Metroidvania, which is a totally different sort of genre. Um, yeah. I would say is GTA Vice City or San Andreas. I think those two games really make you feel like the size of the game is important versus like the newer GTA, which is just like throwing shit in there to be, I don't know, to be cute about it. Yeah, uh, you know, with GTA 5, like there's a lot of extra shit, but I just skipped it. I never played fucking tennis or went golfing or or whatever. I thought the story was actually pretty incredible for a GTA game. Yeah, like um, if you just focus on the story, which you, thankfully you can um, in this GTA, like it's a really gripping um, crime thriller about, you know, male bonding and friendship. And depending on your character, 
um, whether you are going to betray your friends to save yourself. It was actually a lot of people like it, it was actually, you know, one of the most interesting things in gaming that I saw when I was reading like Reddit after people started finished in the game. A lot of people like would because at the end of, of the game, you have a choice between either betraying one of your friends or like going out guns blazing, all of you dying in a blaze of glory. And a lot of people chose, you know, to betray one of their friends instead of taking the third option. Right. And they were mad at Rockstar for making them do that. I'm like, no, you had another option. Take the third option. You just didn't (laughs) consider it. That's the actual good, that was the actual good ending of the game. But so many people were mad. It's like, oh man, I I really like, you know, this guy, but but I had to turn on him because I like this guy more. And they were all pissed off at Rockstar. Like, that's your character. That's you. You (laughs) made that choice. You're the piece of garbage. Yeah, well, I mean, I I can see why you guys would like GTA 5 because really i know you guys did an episode recently with aubrey on fight club and gta 5 is a lot like fight club you know it's a story about masculinity especially when you're talking at i forgot i don't remember the names of the characters but the middle-aged ex-convict guy yeah uh, Trevor, travis Tra- what's his name so i think no, Trevor's is the crazy one the Trevor's the crazy one michael oh michael michael, michael yeah, like yeah we look at, like... we're looking at something like michael and also the black guy <laughs> which, which i can say the because, black guy <laughs> yeah, yeah. As you look at the black guy um like you're really seeing a, a conversation about like what masculinity looks like or rather what traditional masculinity people who like sort of ascribe to uh traditional masculine ideals about themselves and what the world should look like are forced to live lives that don't necessarily match up with that and sort of schism and again i guess i, I go back to what you're saying you know the the real masculine ending the real point of that story is to go out guns blazing mm-hmm. and like, like, like that like that's how like that's how the story ends you know that's how it's like, in some some ways that you know that's kind of a western type trope too is like to go out guns blazing mm-hmm. you know, yeah like you go or a gangster type trope you go out guns blazing because the other option is like a violation of that masculine honor that, you, that you've sort of been cultivating this entire time without even really noticing it yeah and so many people betrayed either trevor or michael and i just want to say if you're a struggle session listener who did that um we're really disappointing you because mm-hmm. you're frankly. a snitch play again play it yeah. again right now <laughs> You're, you're, you're right. Snitch. Don't know. Snitch. <laughs> you're right. Well, you can't load a save either because you did it on that save. You have to make a new one. Yeah, clean slate, clean slate. Delete <laughs> your save. Well, uh, hello everyone. Welcome to Struggle Session. I'm Leslie the Third. I'm Jack Allison. And today we're uh, introduce yourself, man. You've been you've been yeah. on enough times. We've been on your show. You, yeah. You're your family here, man. I I love being family. It's, you know, it's your boy Chad V. Uh, Chad Vigorous, aka Brandon. So really a lateral move, <laughs> uh, a, like a lateral move. But I'm going by Chad V until it stops being funny. <laughs> All right. And today, you know, we we, we didn't get on. Oh, to talk one about thing. It. And I am oh, of course ahead. I'm the course. I am the host of the discourse, which the is discourse. a podcast with a great name. Great name great guest as these two gentlemen have been on jack yep. has been on yes. recently uh yeah we just did a whole episode about pod save america uh so if you haven't heard me oh rant, i want to listen a lot to of fun it was, i uh, want to listen to that me connor uh uh mitchell mitchell, mitchell cares uh that is uh that's quite the episode yeah it, it's it's i mean it, there's a lot to unpack when it comes to the pod save america boys yeah that was a nice little bitch session right there i like uh, that <laughs> cool cool as hell all right but today we're not we're not gonna be talk, having a bitch session because we're gonna be talking about something we all love yeah something we all you know are ta- have taking a second look at now you know 20 
what has it been has it's been like 20 years since it originally when did it came. first come out yeah it's 96 90, so it's 22 years since 22 years wow. old um half That's of you a little bit staggering <laughs> yeah half of you were not alive when this yeah. movie came out yeah i was very alive i wasn't a freshman in high school and i've never felt more alive than when i watched <laughs> this film um that's not a joke that is true um it's all been downhill from um, there <laughs> and of course we're talking about uh west craven's masterpiece i'll say it i'll say it masterpiece wow scream scream we're here to talk about Scream, folks. Um, do you like this scary movie? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> My God. Yeah, yeah, I love this scary movie. I, I saw this the opening week in theaters. Yes, I was t- too young. This was before they started carding people for like R-rated movies, <laughs> which is just so bizarre to me that people do now. But no, you just, your mom would drop you off at the theater and you would just buy a ticket and go in. Mm-hmm. Shocking, I know, but saw this in the theaters and was blown the fuck away because in the first five minutes, you see Drew Barrymore's intestines. And yeah. <laughs> like, there's fuck. I, I can't explain how, like, just how shocking that was to see and how, like, awesome it was to see, <laughs> frankly. I was going to say, well, yeah, that's one part of the movie that people weren't expecting, right? So that was a surprise. At the time, I want to say Drew Barrymore was probably you know, one of the top built actresses in the movie. Yes. Yeah. She, she was, she was big and she dies, you know, kind of psycho esque. She dies yeah. within the first five, 10 minutes. She dies. She's the opening kill. She's the opening yeah. stinger. Uh, so she does. So like, that was, you know, kind of the cue that this movie was going to subvert your expectations in a way that, you know, in any other slasher film, you know, for the past 20 years, she would have been the final girl. Uh, mm-hmm. And in this one, she dies really just five minutes in. Right. And I think it also sets the tone that Scream is going to subvert your expectations still by doing like extremely well-directed horror that is actually not winking at the camera yes. and is like so gruesome. Like I want to, I, I, I don't want to like lose sight of that because that's the thing that I think that really stuck out to me the most in my rewatch of Scream this time is like, this is a movie that is doing, you know, what a lot of movies since have done, which is like playing with the ideas and tropes and structure of horror movies as we know it. But this movie never does get like too annoyingly winky about it. And it also re- remains a horror movie. Like this is a scary, fucked up movie to watch. I don't know. I still like was like squeamish watching this first scene. Yeah, like it does. Like exactly, Jack. That's why I love, you know, talking about this film because it does both it does you know the postmodernist recontextualization of the slasher genre which Wes Craven helped to invent and ultimately ruin and turn the crap but then he brought it back in yeah. like a really like interesting and effective way mm-hmm. while still playing within the rules of what should actually happen in a slasher movie that's the thing there's no violations here like I think it's been misinterpreted so much, uh, mostly because of like Jamie Kennedy's character, mm-hmm. because he's someone who has watched slasher films and ends up being in a slasher film. But why wouldn't this be a world, the screen universe be a world where teenagers watch slasher films? That's all it is. It's like he's seen slasher movies before. Like that's it. That doesn't turn the film into like a parody or a comedy in my opinion like it makes sense that teenagers would watch slasher movies 
in this universe and he knows it and he's living through it and the killers themselves have are kind of taking stuff from it but it never gets to the point where i don't buy that any of this would actually happen well i agree i think you both make some great points and one of them is that this is a satire and and part of it it's like it's also a love letter to the slasher genre um even jamie kennedy's character is based on an obscure well it takes inspiration from an obscure character in like an earlier 80s horror movie that no one has ever seen called final exam um and and the movie in the movie final exam is actually referenced in scream at a certain point where you have this character in final exam who is kind of a weirdo sort of slasher movie buff who uh or rather not slasher movie but slasher movie slash serial killer buff who goes around talking a lot about like serial killers and such and jamie kennedy's character is kind of a, a pastiche of that when he starts talking about all of the various slasher films but yeah i think you know I think that really Scream, and I'm sure someone's going to disagree with this, but Scream really represents the first, uh, at least in the modern generation, of meta-horror, right? This idea that the people within the movie themselves are aware of the existence of horror movies, generally speaking, not only the existence, right? Because I think that even in something like Halloween, um, the kids are watching The Thing from Another World, right? So like, the you know, like... It's, a, you know, ho- people in horror making reference to other horror is not new, but not only are they making references, but they are actually quite familiar with the genre trope, with the genre, the tropes, the, you know, the, the rules of horror, as the movie says. And what, and like, but that's what makes the movie so interesting. And right, when I guess what makes it such a good horror movie, too, and a good sort of uh, critique, or I guess you call it like postmodernist take on the horror genre is that. Part of horror is about fear of the unknown and fear of, you know, the loss of all this rationality and agency and, oh, the world's turning upside down. And, like, in this movie, everyone is still very rational and using very rational sort of modes of thought. Like, they know the rules, but they still can't escape the slasher. They still can't escape their fate. They, they still go through the motions anyway. And it's so, you know, it's such an interesting idea that like, no matter what you know, you're still not safe. Yeah, I also think that it kind of speaks to, you know, uh, um, as the horror genre evolves, it has to find new ways to scare people, right? Like it has to find like the first horror movies ever, like literally what people were first scared about in movie theaters was like an image of a train driving toward them. And they thought the train was going to run them over. So that was like the first scary movie was they they thought they were going to get run over by a train. So I actually even think this represents just a sort of, it like represents that he that they were making a movie about modern people. You know what I mean? Like I feel like in the 90s after slasher movies had existed for so long, people talked this way about horror movies. And when you saw a horror movie, I think people would like make jokes being like, "Haven't they seen horror movies or whatever?" Uh, um so I even feel like, you know, even aside from the postmodern critique and everything like that, this was kind of a way to like by acknowledging that these are tropes like make it even scarier like acknowledge that we're kind of all aware of what's happening here and how do we you know even go beyond that to still uh, uh make a scary movie well i'll just say too i mean just before i don't mean to but like i think it's important to really sort of like i think jack makes a good point at the time scream came out the slasher genre was dead 
Um, mm-hmm. And it had been dead for a while. And like around 1996, around like between like the early 90s and the sort of switched from, you know, I want to say Jason, like Jason switched from Paramount to New Line or New Line to Paramount or like a lot of, you know, old properties changed hands. Mm-hmm. And you saw like a lot of really terrible horror movies coming out. Like Jason takes Manhattan and, um, <laughs> you know, Friday Nightmare on Elm Street, The Dream Child. A lot of like really terrible movies. Like the slasher, no, oh yeah, and um, of course, uh, Halloween, like five and six was around this time too. So like the horror genre, like specifically the slasher genre that Halloween started, the original Halloween started, like was pretty, you know, yeah. dead at the time. Yeah, I agree. And also, like, seen as corny in a weird way. So it's like almost this kind of like, I don't know. I it, It's almost like, how do you make a movie about people who have seen movies? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we're supposed to identify with the characters we see on screen, especially in horror movies. And so this just seems like, a, like it feels to me like I'm watching this and I'm like, oh, this feels like even scarier because these people have seen movies and they can't get out of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's why I really love and about the film. Like, is the characters and the interactions they have with each other. They all seem just like real teenagers. Mm-hmm. Like they're shitty. They make they make fun of each other for no reason. They're mean to each other yeah. just because. Like that's what high school was. You know, like all, all these are people are. Oh, they're a little bit older. I mean, uh, well, Drew, <laughs> Drew Barry, Drew Barrymore. I I don't quite know if I well, ball her as a high school senior in either. Scream the franchise you end up sort of getting all like because you get Sarah Michelle Geller in number two and so you get all the kind of like nearing 30s year old people that played teenagers in movies in the 90s <laughs> it's great it's great <laughs> but Scream, I'm surprised feels- Courtney Cox is not like a, a 13 year old in this movie <laughs> but like in Scream it feels like it's on purpose yeah, like it does I, actually it, 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 it feels like it's a it, you're like you know it's part of the joke right you like feels like you're like you're in not the joke right but it, it feels like it again it's a love letter to the idea right. of and they even and and they even cast like a young nev he casts like a young or relatively obscure nev campbell to be mm-hmm. sydney prescott which is you know a kind of a typical horror movie thing right, right? you know jamie lee curtis wasn't known before halloween mm-hmm. you know that kind of made her career like an unknown actress as yeah. your sort of heroine in the movie. Uh, of uh, but I, I'll say this, and I mean, part of it, it, Scream ended up being, you know, a, kind of analogous to what, um, sorry, um, to what Pulp Fiction was to action movies. Like mm-hmm. Scream to Horror was what Pulp Fiction was to action movies in the '90s, where you see like in action movies, you see this, this sort of um, this emergence of Quentin Tarantino-esque, smug-ass, dumb-ass characters, <laughs> like, sure. having like, all these meta-annoying conversations in all these, you know, so many different action movies, like, both ranging from, like, B-tier, like, cult classics to, you know, higher A-rank, which are, are aping the kind of dialogue of Pulp sure. Fiction. And Scream led to the same thing, right? You know, you have this new wave of not only meta-horror, and, like, horror meant to... Um, Meant to critique other horrors, so even like Wes Craven's New Nightmare, the other movie that Wes Craven did that was like this. But like just the characters, like the way the characters interact, like they were no longer, um, you know, they were the characters like had always been sort of flirting with being, you know, snarky teenagers, like Jamie Lee Curtis and Annie and Linda and Halloween. But like this sort of like I want to say Buffy esque dialogue, right? Which is not fair, mm. but like this sort of smug Buffy esque dialogue. You know, that you see, like, kids cracking wise and, you know, uh, teenagers being, like, complete pieces of shit and, like, you know, more kind of cursing and, like, graphic and humor. Like, horror was no longer afraid to, like, be funny sometimes. 
uh, you know, inject a little humor. And that even comes across in, I want to say, Halloween H20, where you have, like, the, you know, the opening Jamie, not, not Jamie Curtis, but, um, uh, oh, my God, uh, the the kid who was in everything for a while, uh, he was in Looper, Jordan, Go- Joseph Gordon-Levitt, like, Joseph Gordon, oh, oh, like, like, a young <laughs> Joseph Gordon-Levitt, you have, like, a, you have, like, a young, um, uh, you have like you have like a bunch of young like teenagers who are just like not afraid to be a little bit funnier, a little bit more like edgy and aware of what's going on, and like that kind of you, you can sort of see if you once you watch Scream, and I think it it's, it kind of suffers from be it kind of suffers from like the same thing as Seinfeld suffers from. Like right. if you watch Seinfeld now, you're like this is so cliche and stupid, right. but like at, that's only because things have taken so much from Seinfeld and so they much so from Scream. Yeah, that, like it's. Like you can sort of see its genealogy in everything yeah, you see I'm, now. I'm just so sorry that all the generations that came after the nineties are just so bad and can't appreciate <laughs> that Scream, Buffy, and Seinfeld are all great and impeccable, frankly. Um especially the dialogue. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I haven't watched Buffy, but uh I'll I'll rep the other two. The only thing that doesn't hold up about Buffy is that until like season five, all the black characters speak in jive. Like oh, every okay. single one yeah. <laughs> shows <That's> up. Not <laughs> perfect. <laughs> or like, yeah, it's it's not great. Uh, I do want to take a moment. I owe Drew Barrymore an apology. She's actually one of the younger uh, cast members oh. in this film. She was I, 21 uh, well, uh, yeah. at the time. Uh, Nev Campbell was 26, I believe. Um, yeah, J- Jamie Kennedy, 26. Ski Ulrich, 26. David Arquette was only was only 25 in um, this one. Yeah, I mean, so. That seems on purpose, though. Like, you have, like even the adults and the, the adults and teenagers are the exact same age. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Drew uh, uh, Nev was uh, 23, 23 at the time. So you know, not quite teenage. No teenagers in this film, but um, they still they pull it off. As far as I'm concerned, they do. I mean, I think it's all very believable. I I mean, ultimately, what makes it so interesting to watch is that. You know, I, I was only five when the original Scream came out, so I never, I, I didn't get a chance to experience it, and it's, it's sort of situated in its time, uh, you know, where like as you know, as the genre was waning. But what makes it so interesting for me to watch as somebody who like studies horror academically in some sense is that you, you know you get this kind of structure in horror movies that has become relatively, I want to say, standard across all subgenres. You know, more or less, and it's it's a sort of three act structure. It's based around a three act structure where you know the first act is you getting introduced to all these characters in their world, and for more or less, it's the exact same world we live in, right? It's you know it's a, mm-hmm. it's, it's a it's a suburb. It's like it's some it's some environment that is recognizable to us either as kind of like I don't know this idyllic American life environment or you know just a more gritty kind of environment. I think that American horror, or I know American horror, tends to be more situated in ex-urban areas like suburbs rural like rural environments uh where british horror tends to be more situated in urban environments uh, there's, less, there's a lot of reasons why it's not important um you know and at the end of the first act you sort of see a lot of you know a lot of a breakdown of this world that we know right you see like uh, the killers you know and i guess you know let's talk about friday friday 13th or a nightmare on elm street you know in the first act uh freddie gets introduced fully 
people start dying, the world starts, people's, you know, worldview starts unraveling, rationality starts breaking down, people are dying in their fucking dreams, there's a, there's a dude with a <laughs> bag over his head killing co-eds, you know, uh, right. someone stabbed, someone stabbed, um, uh, the guy from Footloose with a harpoon, it, shit's going <laughs> crazy, you know, at the, you know, and all throughout the second act is just like this kind of, I know you guys also like Thomas Ligotti. I love Thomas Ligotti. Yes. You see this reduction of human life from this built-up terms and sort of like the built-up ideals of modernity, which is rationality and engaging with the world through a, a series of like, you know, through your own agency and shaping an environment around you. It, it reduces humans down to their, like their base instincts of like, you live and you fuck. That's it. <laughs> all people do. You live, you fuck, you know, like you drink all like sort of over now but at the end of the at the end of the second act there's the plan right there's sort of this this entire desire to reclaim agency in the world you see mm -hmm. so for example nancy gets starts makes her home alone traps she figures out that oh if i grab freddy's hat and the dream world i can bring him out into the real world and that's how we'll catch him because i'll you know i'll fucking beat him. i'll bring him out and johnny depp you'll beat the shit out of him with a baseball bat not a great plan but it's, it's you know it's a plan nonetheless uh and that and then you know third act the plan is enacted it either works or it doesn't work doesn't make a difference but there is this sort of overarching kind of trajectory of rational world loss of rationality uh re trying to reclaim rationality reclaiming it not reclaiming it you know more or less with the stinger and like the sort of twist ending is that's it but what i like about scream is that there never really is this explicit loss of rationality like no one like no one ever loses right touch with like the rules of the world because they're very familiar with the the new rules ah yeah that they, you know the, the, the new the new rules of the world that they are forced to live in which is a slasher movie are not unfamiliar with them it's not something that they're unprepared for but they like there's a difference between being unprepared for something sort of like at, a, at the core human you know mental level and actually being able to control your environment like you know we might for example un understand how climate change works but doesn't mean we can do anything about it and i you know and i think that that's one of the more interesting features of this movie is where you have them sort of perfectly aware of the rules of horror perfectly yeah. aware of what's of what you should not and should do to stay alive and it just does not help either because they don't follow them or because the killers are also aware yeah, of what you should and shouldn't do yeah it's it's, it's you, that's a brilliant point yeah that's really, good. Uh, that's really good i mean because like when you really look at this film like you, you said it's an idyllic suburb mm -hmm. and it mostly remains that way for most of the film because people are most mostly just go about with their lives like yeah there's a killer on the use yeah they not yeah he knocked off the head killer leader but for like 90 percent, 99 percent of the people they didn't know her right some of them they didn't like her and they just go about their lives because you know sometimes violence happens they actually set it up where you know they talk about how Sydney's wife um, mother was murdered the year earlier, and for the town this wasn't you know some traumatic event. It was just like a kind of tabloidy thing where they talk about how Sydney mother was a slut, and that's kind of what Gail Weathers represents. Like she doesn't run from the horror; she's always constantly running to the violence because it means something to her career. It's like there's horror all around, but these people kind of still go about their. Right day-to-day -day lives and sometimes run towards it yeah and it teaches you too like jack said earlier that there's really you know how many smart asses set through halloween one and two right and like friday the 13th one two three and go, why would they do that why why would anyone mm -hmm. run upstairs why would anyone hide in the closet why would anyone do x y and z why wouldn't you just run out the door and run away 
and like it teach like in a movie i think what makes it scary is for like it not only works on the level of people who did not who don't see horror movies like your casual your filthy casual horror movie i go on halloween to see this movie or i take my girlfriend there because she lets me finger bang her when she gets scared <laughs> you know like it were but it also on the deeper level like that sort of you know multivalent horror where it's like okay but if you are aware of things like, you still could not survive this right well i mean this movie like shows that directly with the scene with uh jamie kennedy's character and the look behind you scene it's like this the movie is saying to you like even if you're or a look behind you guy you will still die in this scenario yes <laughs> yeah like and, or you're, if you're a run out the door person you yeah get, that's exactly what drew Barrymore does she runs uh-huh. she finally she calls she either calls the police she runs out the door and she's so close like that scene she's so close to her parents that they they could hear her if she yeah. hadn't been punched in the throat uh and she gets ripped apart and like Nowhere is safe. This movie, like, while, like, it's acknowledging all the questions of horror movies, it actually also, like, is an answer to all of them and, like, and, like, subverts them. But again, in a way that's not so, like, winky or self-aware, it doesn't, like, it's not so proud of itself for subverting these uh, uh, tropes in, like, in a way that, I mean, I'll I'll just say that, you know, I I was saying this before the show, but rewatching Scream really made me not, like... Uh, cabin in the woods a little bit more. Yes. Uh, is how I feel actually. I, like I, I watch this and I'm like, this is a horror movie. It's shot like a horror movie. It's scary. Those are three check marks that Cabin in the Woods does not get. And it's also just so not proud of itself in a way that Cabin in the Woods is so proud of itself. I hate it Cabin in the Woods the first time I saw it because I always keep screaming my memory. And like I don't I like I want films to be clever, but if that's all you've got, like I don't need that. Like I can just read like an essay about you know tropes in horror movies from you know that brand would write much more than I would spend ninety minutes watch watching Joss Whedon tell me that he saw Hellraiser. (laughs) and evil Evil dead like oh yes you saw hellraiser and evil dead um great fantastic what that's not a movie you you're vaguely familiar with hp lovecraft and i do have to put it on goddard a little bit because i'm like man cabin in the woods is just not scary like i just don't think that there's a moment in cabin in the woods that feels scary or even really feels like a horror movie like when they first arrive at the cabin i'm like man like i just have never seen a scary movie cabin shot so unscarily (laughs) Yeah, like you think if you're going to be say you're clever and you know all this stuff and you know how horror works, like yeah, exactly. <laughs> the most important thing, very important. <laughs> look and tone are actually some well, important elements of horror as well. Of course, and I mean I think that you know hit nail head. Like I think I like Cabin in the Woods, but it's not. A, I don't think it's a horror movie per right. se. I think and I think because it's it's a satire first and a horror movie dis at a distant distant second, mm-hmm. and it's I like mean, a scary movie. Kind of, yeah, actually. It's like scary movie, but proud of itself. By the way, I do like the scary movies. <laughs> I think one and two scary, scary movies are yeah. kind of funny because like, they, they sort of, you know, they really bring home like, the difference between parody and satire. Uh-huh. Uh, but, you know, because like, Scream is a satire second, but it's a horror yeah. movie first and maybe even a satire third yeah. with like a love letter to the genre second. But I don't necessarily feel the love 
of horror when I watch Cabin in the Woods. I see somebody who thinks that, like who's read the TV tropes page on horror yeah. <laughs> and like and like and like knows all of the symbology and like knows the language of horror, but maybe doesn't necessarily understand why it does and does not function. Right. Because like it's so clever by and I think that, you know, there is that weird there's that weird shift where it thinks it's going from like a horror movie to like this sort of I don't know science fiction kind of action thing, which doesn't really work for me because like you said the the atmosphere of the horror environment is never fully realized. It's, yeah, it's never, never fully. It feels like a horror movie. It, it never, never feels like a horror movie. <laughs> yeah, it's never shot like a horror movie really, except for like in little individual scenes. I think are pretty good. Like when they go out on it down into the basement to like and they see all of like the little horror uh, tokens and shit. Oh yeah. Yeah, I kind of don't don't dislike that scene. Uh, it's shot scary. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, shot, that, that shot like a horror fine. movie. But everything else is shot kind of just like flat. You know, it's yeah, flat. TV, you know, very TV. some of some of the sets are like really obviously sets, yeah. but not in like a cute way. Like when they go in, like when um Chris Hemsworth and his girlfriend go into the forest. I'm like, oh, that's a set. <laughs> and that's a bad set too. Uh, but other than that, I mean, like it's it's a fine movie. I can see why people like it, but I think that it's not a movie for. It's not really a movie. I would like. It's not. It's not really a, a horror movie. Right? I mean, it's a horror movie, but like that's not, that's sort of a you know a shitty thing to say. But it's not really a movie that I don't think it scare anybody. Yeah, and and the really thing that really annoys me as a Buffy fan is that they already did this in one of the worst se- seasons of Buffy, usually regarded as like the worst season, the worst villains were exactly like that agent government agency that keeps really? all all the that's that is one hundred percent from Buffy. <laughs> like they have it's the exact same plot from Buffy. They just taken a, a slightly different direction. So it was like. It was like this again when nobody liked it the first time. I mean, I think, I think that can work. I mean, obviously, I think I, I, people really like Buffy. I'm not the hugest Joss Whedon fan. I think the first four seasons of Buffy are really good. And then, like, everyone kind of forgets how bad the last three seasons are. Uh, like, five, six, and seven. Like, they're kind of like, ooh. But, yeah, um, but, but that's exactly what I mean. Like, this yeah. is, like, the from the fifth season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, I mean, if you look at something like Found Destination... The Final Destination movies, uh, I mean, the first one is based on an episode of Twilight, I mean, not Twilight, um, of the X-Files. You know, like, that was an X-Files episode that got sort of basically, you know, written, not not used, and they made into a whole film. film. I, I think Final Destination is probably one of the more interesting horror franchises that is not particularly very good, but has a very interesting premise, at least. Oh, no, if you want to redo something, fine, but it should be something that people, like, liked in the first <laughs> yeah. place. Uh, that's what I mean. <laughs> Oh, that's pretty fair point. I mean, uh, I think Joss Whedon gets a pass on a lot of things because of Buffy and also maybe Angel. But for the most part, I can get I can get beyond some of the failures of Cabin in the Woods because I think it comes across like it's cle- it's it's just clever enough to not make me hate it. Uh, it's a little bit smug, but it's clever enough to not make me necessarily hate it. Uh, but back to but back to scream back to scream sorry yeah, back yeah, to we, scream. We, we had we had to take a I, uh, detour to bash Joss Whedon for a little while but we should return to the topic of the episode I will say for me I think that scream is probably and I guess it's not necessarily like the fairest comparison it's probably the most consistently good horror series ever of of all of them like the most like the one where it's like it's the most consistently not terrible which is again it's not fair because there's only four of them compared to four of them in like a, a show but compared to maybe like the eight 
I'm sorry, the seven or eight, um, depending on how you count Freddy versus Jason, number of Elm Street movies, the 11 Jason movies, 11 or 12, because there's a remake. Right. And then there's now eight, no, I'm sorry, there's 10 Halloweens. Uh, so, I mean, I think that of, of all the series sort of that have been out there it's the best it's the most consistently good uh some people disagree about number two or number three being the worst but i think you know even with the sort of what 12 year gap between three and four it's like it's, i enjoyed four too i got uh, the four was all right you know a brand i'm so sorry to disagree with you so hard about this <laughs> i think three and four are simply atrocious atrocious films i was very i was i found three horrible i I, I saw both these films in theaters very excited to see a continuation because i actually liked scream 2 a lot when it came out i don't think i like it as much now i think um like they made a lot of the wrong they killed the wrong people and that like that problem just got worse in three and four where they just left sydney and dewey and gail alive for all all four of the films like that just it just undercuts the you know real shock and horror of the first one when you didn't know who was going to die like you had no you really didn't know like what they were going to do by but by three and four you knew exactly what they were going to do and it was really unfortunate so i didn't really like three and four i, I will cape for two but i think we discovered on the show that the most consistently good horror series is actually the alien series because they have a ton of movies and a lot of good ones all, almost all of them are good There's a lot of good ones in there well okay well i mean so here's the difference though i think that's Alien, the Alien franchise. If we're not going to count Alien versus Predator, because I, I don't think it's fair to count Alien versus Predator, I, I, will, I will count them. Include I'll, them. I will include them. Include them. I'll allow. Okay, allow. Okay, <laughs> the Alien franchise is a series of is essentially the same movie directed by four different directors. That's not like, it, true. Like, it's, it's just it, not it's, true. It, it, it's like it's it's the same sort of central plot with little, you know, a little escalation given to different people. And I think that you know the first movie is. I want to say the best. Uh, it be, I mean, but that's the only one that's horror. Well, obviously. Uh, I think I agree with that one. But yeah, I would even say that it's like, I, I don't think that they are. Like, if, if anything, the Alien franchise is great because they're like so weird and different of movies. Like, they yeah, they like not, become different like genres as the series continues. Yeah, but I, that's why I wouldn't, call, I wouldn't call it necessarily a, a traditional horror franchise. Ah, so you're and saying you, this doesn't count as a horror franchise because, then. Ah, because only, because only the, I would say only the first one is an actual horror movie. And the second one is just an action movie, which and it's a good action yeah, movie. Yeah, okay. So, like, so what do you think, good, Leslie? Do you think the, Alien counts as a horror movie franchise? Um, you know, I, it's I, a good point. It is a very, it's a very, very good point. But you know, when I and like, I wouldn't necessarily like when you look at something like Alien Covenant. Like, I think that's a horror movie. Like, that's like I, its I, own weird thing at this point. I don't even know what that. But is. I really, did, I couldn't call it anything but a horror movie because it is just about a bunch of pe- right, bunch of killed. people <laughs> getting killed. Like, yeah. that's the point of the film. Like Prometheus. Like that ends up was being about, but there's also some mythology there and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But like covenant is just like people getting ripped apart that's well i mean so i i prometheus and, and alien covenant i've seen i saw both of those in theaters i like the first part of prometheus when it was just like a science fiction movie and then when it became what when it when they tried to sort of make it about aliens i think it really kind of suffered for that like they should have just made it its own little thing alien covenant it it tried to recapture the magic of alien 
but I don't know why they decided to make it. Like, the worst parts about Prometheus are the parts where it's trying to be alien. And the worst parts about Alien Covenant are when it's trying to be like Prometheus. And it's, it's, almost, <laughs> and it, it, it's almost like if they could just have made those two movies separately and not have them affect each other in any way, it would have been a better... They both would have been better off for it. But at the same time, I would say Prometheus is just like... It's kind of like a pure science fiction movie that gets bogged down by horror. It's like, you know, some of the, the theme... Like, I think some people think Prometheus is... Is pretentious. I think that's ridiculous. I think Prometheus is very easy to understand, but it's like it's just no. It's kind of like you know, it has a lot of themes in it. You know, it's about religion and where we come from and the meaning of life and the uh, and the origins of life and all the things. And then like once it becomes about aliens, it like, it loses track of all those themes and this is just it's whatever. Because I think that again, Promet the 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 scariest part about Prometheus in my mind is. Again, almost related to Final Destination, because the, the central point of Prometheus seems to be like, okay, what if you went out into space because you found out that, like, the human race was actually created? And so you, like, you know, as a human, like, oh, well, shit, man, I want to know who created us, you know, and you have this little subplot because she can't have children and that's a whatever. And you have the old man who wants to live forever. And that's interesting too. And like there's androids and like life and stuff like that. And you find out that the people who created you hate your guts. They yes. fucking hate you. And and for me, that – and you don't know why. And for me, I think that that's what I would consider to be, like, a very interesting subversion of cosmic horror. This idea, you know, where cosmic horror is that, hey, you know what? One time, you know, Shog Niggurath, like, farted, and that's where life comes from, and he doesn't even recognize <laughs> that you exist. And, you know, your life and death is so petty to him that it's not even worth his consideration, even if he registered it. Like, the opposite is this sort of very personalistic but still kind of theological horror where it's like, okay, yeah, what if there is a god and he knows you personally and does not like you? <laughs> he personally does not like you, which I guess Finest Nation touched on it too. Like, yeah. That's a line from Fight Club, actually. Yeah. Yeah. That is. yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's like, what if there's a god and he hates you? Like, what, what's scarier than that? It's like, and it's not really a theme that you see developed a lot in horror. And I think Prometheus does its best to touch on that theme, but then because they wanted to shoehorn in aliens, they don't—they never really bothered to fully explore. And then an aliens covenant just becomes about, um, I don't know who, like, there's like a Numi Rapace kind of character. Like, I think they then they keep throwing in, I want to say, like sort of Ripley stand-ins for some reason and like I don't think it needs that either but I, I think Numi Replace is hot and so is the one the other chick who's in, well, in the Covenant. But. Well that's why I talk about I think Alien suffers because Rip, it changed Ripley and turned Ripley into something she was never meant to be and it kind of ruins the ruins uh, aspect of the franchise because you can never get away from Ripley when she's so much cooler I like and I think in the first one I like I like that Ripley a lot yeah. better than like the taping a flamethrower to a machine gun with a chainsaw Ripley well I mean she she has growth over like between the first and second movie I think that she has a little bit of growth and that that speaks to what I was saying about agency and horror right you know by the end of like over the course of the movie of Alien 1 she is just kind of you know 
I would even say the science fiction in Alien is, is is more of a setting and not really a plot point. So like you know to call it sci-fi horror is technically true, but not in the same way that like Event Horizon is sci-fi horror because like the the, the horror is really from that point derived from science. Not important though. The yeah. point is really that you know she has this arc over the series of her sort of reclaiming her agency from this sort of traumatic event, which I think is interesting, especially sort of in the, sort of the framework of horror. But the, the second movie is so much just about action. It's so much. Not, it's so much about this sort of uh impending alien threat being taken down by space marines which of course the space marines proved to be ineffective when compared to ripley but it's like they're never really they never really sort of reached the heights of horror that i would expect from a horror movie and then three and four i'm sorry resurrection and uh, and cubed alien yeah <laughs> alien aliens cubed in resurrection uh they just kind of go off the rails and they're fun movies especially like resurrection it can be fun yeah but they never get but they but none of them ever reach the same heights of horror and i think another, it's three another joss whedon joint the french one does all right but like you know with the, at the prison but then they know and then alien versus predator is whatever uh alien alien versus predator requiem is whatever to to squared but other than that i i i won't you know lay out my aliens versus predator defense again you can you can hear it on the old bonus you can go listen it's fine i would i mean i would say this i I agree with you about three and four of scream and i think that probably the best way to tackle that would have been to make the killers one of the original characters from the first yes like mate so like because there was there's always been this like fringe theory floating around about dewey being one of the killers yeah one and had they made that the case in four or three better three would have been better because the killer in three was stupid that was like a stupid um and i think that randall like shoehorning randy back in when they killed him was was ridiculous but um you know like this like oh hitherto unknown backstory stuff like no 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 like just like just make it dewey like if you're gonna do that make it dewey yeah, because if you, I remember, you know, the original commercials, they would always end with a shot of like Dewey looking creepy with the line, we all go a little mad sometimes on it. So like, if you just watched the trailer, I know I went in thinking that like Dewey was going to be the killer because yeah. that's how they like advertised it. Because cause, like honestly, what making Dewey the killer in three, and I, I hate the sort of, Wes Craven died in 2015, which is upset, which is upsetting, you know, rest in peace, King. Um, So I, I hate offering uh, advice about how to re- how to fix things but if you wanted to enhance the entire series by like going back you know as per what randall uh, jamie kennedy's character said like learning new information about the, the, the situation that offset the entire thing right having dewey have been complicit in the first kills and then coming back to finish the job in number three would have enhanced the entire series because then you could have gone back through it and like rewatched it to see like where dewey in one and two was acting weird and not necessarily acting in line with what you would expect him to be doing and but as it stands the revelation in three has no real impact on one and two which if you're going to end the series with that kind of you know i guess ostensible plot point that like it's going to actually go big with it i I can't imagine like you know sort of uh the like sort of like the non story reasons for why it would have been difficult to get to get uh sorry um david arquette to do that but uh you know i'm just saying that from a, a storytelling standpoint, having him be the killer or Gale be the killer or someone like, but specifically Dewey, would have made the, the, the trilogy stronger. You know, they were actually going to try to bring back Matthew Lillard um, for Scream 3. That was the uh, original plan, um, but they 
but they scrapped, they rewrote the script after Columbine. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I didn't. That's uh, that's interesting, actually. Uh, that w- uh, and that would that better. did occur to me as I was watching it. I was like, oh, this is probably Columbine inspired here. Yeah, but um, I we haven't really talked too much about the performances in Scream. Like, who is everybody's favorite character? Because I know you gotta have one. I think Matthew Lillard is like such a good character uh, in this movie. Which is uh, uh, what is his name? What is the name of his character in this? It's like uh, Randy Meeks. Randy, Randy Meeks. No, yeah, no, he's Stu. Stu. He's Stu. Stu. Oh yeah, Stu. Randy Stu. Meeks Stu. is um, Stu. the uh, the other guy. Yeah, Stu. Just uh, uh, I think that I, I he's just such a fun. Uh, uh, he, I don't know. He strikes me. He, 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 he hits the. Uh, uh, he runs the gamut from like sort of your you know good uh, uh, teen horror character to like actually sort of convincingly scary and uh, uh, you know out of his mind at the end. Well, I mean, I like. I also have to say that Matthew Lillard, Lillard uh, Stu Mocker, uh, that's his name. Stu Mocker's character, or Randy, I'm sorry, uh, Matthew Lillard's character, Stu Mocker, is my favorite because he is so over the top in compared to everybody else. Uh, like he comes across as very, very sinister, even in the beginning, and then towards the end, like it does sort of hammer home this kind of Halloween esque like, why is Randy doing it? I mean, sorry, why is Stu doing it? Like, he's like, I don't know. (laughs) He's just crazy. He's just crazy. He didn't have a, he didn't have a good reason for it. It's like, he's not on, you know, talk about Columbine. He's not unpopular. He's not killing them for revenge. He's not killing them for really any, like he, unlike, um, unlike Nev Campbell's boyfriend, uh, he's not like, he's not driven by a revenge motive. He just essentially just like, likes killing people. Yeah. (laughs) He's, He's actually kind of scared by Billy's revenge motive. You kind of see a hint of that at the end where he's talking about why he killed the mother. And it kind of comes as a surprise to Stu that, you know, he's that, you know, pissed off about it. Like, he thought they were just having a fun time, but he's over here, you know, getting revenge on the person who broke up his family. Well, I mean, I think that that sort of maps onto what you would call, like... Uh, a codependent sociopathic yes. relationship it's like that like that idea like you have one person in that sort of the duo who is like the schemer and the manipulator and he's manipulating the other person you know in this case Stu, who is much easier led by kind of base motives like i'm gonna be famous or i want your i want your approval or listen that is you know like that's like that's not psychologically un unrealistic you know, I have to say, you know, I love Stu. Love Stu. Love Matthew Lewis' performance. It's a goddamn travesty that it took like 20 years for his career to get back on track before he was like in more shit. But he's doing fine now. But I have to say my favorite character is probably Gail. I, I just really like Gail because like she's a bad person who is like still has a sweet side to her, right? Like she's really like, you know, likes Dewey, even though he's kind of a doofus and complete opposite of her. Like they generally fall in love and it feels, and I feel like I'm watching, you know, the actual Courtney Cox and David Arquette kind of fall in love and seeing their real personalities on screen. So I really like Gail because even though like she's kind of a semi villain, she has enough good aspects that I respect her. I think Rose McGowan is really hot in this movie. 
I have to be clear on struggle session. We do not get horns. Yeah, we are never horny. No, we, we don't get horns. We don't get on horny on struggle session. But, but I will have to say this was 1996. I was 14. Yeah. I, I'm not going to forget this film. I'm not going to get <laughs> Rose McGowan's looks in this. I'm film. not going to get horn. I'm not getting horn per se. I'm actually going to make, I'm actually making a more sort of nuanced. It's 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 an interesting sort of conversation about the slasher genre overall, right? In terms of like where, where like what it derives its horror from and like what, like what is meant to. So I got the, if all horror, every subgenre of horror, every sort of movie, you know, slasher, um, creature features, um, natural disaster horror movies. So like things like Twister or, you know, if they're all sort of meant to act as criticisms of particular aspects of our society and our world, you know, what does the slasher movie genre you know, essentially critique, right? Like, what, like, what is it? What is it a critique of? What is it meant to lambast within our society? And, and how? Do, and how does Scream take those critiques to the next level, or you know, essentially critique those critiques? Uh, you know, as you know, is with any good postmodernist uh, philosophy. But like the the slasher movie genre, obviously, is meant to critique the ideas of burgeoning teen sexuality uh, as a dangerous thing, right? You know, so you see in halloween you have the you have like the jamie lee curtis character who dresses like who always dresses like she's going to church no matter like while all her friends like annie uh and right. linda are having promiscuous sex and they get murdered by you know by uh by michael Ford, you know brutally um and you have friday 13th which is all about the camp counselors having premaritals you know being punished because they were having sex instead of watching jason you know and that's how he drowned because you know whatever and like though like that has been a particular aspect of the teen slasher genre since its inception this idea that sexuality teen sexuality in a sort of a secular way is incredibly dangerous and it has to be sort of safeguarded against uh and if you sort of deviate from these societal norms, if you deviate from purity and chastity, if you deviate from like, you know, if you stray too far from the, the, the you know, the path of the light, you will be slaughtered by a dude in a hockey mask. And this movie, Scream, it takes that to, you know, it critiques that critique by explicitly having Sydney have sex and then surviving. Yeah. Like the whole thing is like they, they, they wait. The reason they don't kill Sydney is funny. Like the reason, and this is kind of what causes the, uh, the killers to lose too. It's like the reason they don't kill Sydney is because essentially they wait until her and Billy have sex. <laughs> and like they have plenty of time to kill her. But like it isn't until like Billy and Sydney have sex that they like they actually try to kill her. And mm-hmm. that's when they fail. Uh but no, I'm sorry, but please go ahead. Yeah. I was gonna say like so Roseman Cowan gets trapped Rose McGowan gets trapped in that doggy door in part because of her breast. Um, so I don't know if that's a commentary on something, but m- maybe, maybe. But I, I, I would say that, like, the way this film handles, like, sexuality, like, it, it kind of, like, it accepts it. It accepts kind of, I, th- I think it's kind of positive about both aspects because Nev Campbell is the hero, even though she's a virgin. But, like you know the people who have sex aren't bad necessarily just because they like it takes teenagers like for real seriously like they sometimes teenagers have sex and like that's okay right well i mean the whole the whole the whole movie sort of the events of the movie are all sort of 
set into motion because Sydney's mom is promiscuous. It's like that's like that's the kind of the overarching uh, impetus for why Billy starts killing people uh, because like his wife, his father was cheating on his mother with Sydney's mother, and that is what kind of um, and that's what sets him off because like he, and like, then Sid- poor Cotton ends up in prison. For poor Cotton's been proven because like you know like and you know it all and even says like you know this whole thing. Well, started I take it back, I guess he got really punished for uh, sleeping <laughs> around, even though I mean, he's an adult. <laughs> yeah, essentially, it's just like you know, like I think even Billy says like this whole thing started because your mother was spreading her like you know spreading her legs all around how she's she was hot shit, and I mean like this idea of like not not only this like punishing sexuality right, so it's critique of not only this idea of like hey we're punishing sexuality, but specifically you know horror movies seen slash movies as punishing female sexuality as, as sort of like ra- putting female sexuality and purity on this pedestal that the only way you can survive as a woman is to be pure like men just can't survive at all which is not which is not like a strong um statement about male purity or anything it's just like a, a, a hat this is a thing because like it but like this idea that the best way for women to be women to be in society is to be pure and chaste and not necessarily be uh, promiscuous is subverted by us by scream in a way that I think is not necessarily uh, talked about enough. It's idea like, yeah, yeah, it really isn't the end all be all of being like the final girl. It gets more about your wits and your, and your willingness to shoot someone in the fucking head. Yeah, uh, and I do want to say there's one scene uh, that we, one I, thing that the kids do that makes no sense whatsoever, but like sets the end of the film, and I still love. It's like all these people are getting killed. They cancel school for the day, and then they decide to throw a fucking party in a remote location at a remote house. That is so perfect. I just love that. That's what. That's exactly what stupid kids would do. They would just go out in the middle of nowhere and have a party while the killer's on the loose. And the reason they all leave the party is because they hear that the principal has been gutted and struck up from the goalposts, and they want to go see it. <laughs> they want to see it. <laughs> but, the, but but that's what kids would do. Right. And yes. in our generation, like they would, I, I think that Scream 4 like pushes the whole like uh, internet streaming generation stuff too far, like way too far. And like, you know, it's just not realistic at that point. But like, if it were nowadays, people would be, they would rush to the school to take photos, like, and like make little shitty YouTube videos about like how like the loss affected them. I will say this though um, if we're talking about party scenes and slashers, and I guess this is another movie that I want to say Scream influenced. It is called cherry falls and it's it's, a, it's one of my favorite lesser known slasher movies that came out in the aftermath of scream yes it came out 2000 perfect and it's it's uh directed by jeffrey wright and it stars Brittany murphy and jay moore and what? i don't yeah <laughs> So wow. I, I, no, I really, no, Brandon, this is not a real movie. This yeah, is so, a fucking <laughs> Matrix glitch. There's no. no way that I missed both a Brittany Murphy and the Jay Moore movie. No, no, let so alone this, one together. Yo, and this, it's, this movie's called Cherry Fall. I watch a lot of horror movies. I watch a lot of slash movies. And, I, and oh, there it if is. I'm if I'm if I'm going to like critique or say a scream critiques this idea of female purity within itself in a sort of uh, a half-hearted but still kind of interesting way, the entire point of Cherry Falls, and like you know is to critique the trend of virgins surviving in horror movies because the premise of cherry falls is that there is a serial killer going huh. around a ta- like a small idyllic town and he is only killing virgins 
<laughs> he's like, he's only he's only killing virgins, and so the only way you can survive is to have sex. And like, and that's what that sounds again like a parody, but taking kind of like the inspiration from Scream, and like it does take a lot of inspiration from Scream. Uh, and, this, and I also want to say, you know, the same way the, um, another good movie I really enjoy, Urban Legends. Uh, oh yes, one. like uh, it takes a lot from Scream, but. It's said in a college, but Cherry Falls has a very. If you think the party scene in Scream is fucking stupid, the party scene in Cherry Falls is equally stupid because it's it's an orgy. Essentially, it's an orgy. Like it's a party. It's a party that they throw because they know the only way you can survive oh is to lose your virginity. So like so like people just go to this party to hook up and like that's like this is purpose. And like it's the movie is not like it's not the best movie you will ever see, but. It's it's a very interesting take on this, and Jay Moore is great in it, and Brittany Murphy is one of my sort of favorite horror movie actresses, and so I, I would definitely suggest taking a look at Cherry Falls. Oh hell yeah, yeah! Wow. I, I just I just looked up the IMDb for Urban Legends. Um, Jared Leto was in this movie, and Michael Rosenbaum. I did not remember this. I remember liking this film, but not remembering. Um, who was in it, apparently, aside from Tara Reed, who ended up being the killer. It was really cool. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, that's what I, you know, as, like I said, like all these post-Scream horror movies really, really Def- took a lot of inspiration from Scream and it's like the, the dialogue, this like this idea of subverting your your expectations for who the villain might be. Like if you think that, if you think that the killer in uh, Urban Legend is a, 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 you know, a shot from the dark, wait till you see Cherry Falls because wow. the killer in Cherry wow. Falls comes out of like, it comes out of nowhere and it's, oh. Oh, hell yeah. This is some very good wall. Cherry Falls advocacy. Hell yeah. <laughs> You're doing Cherry like, Falls. Wow. I'm, like, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of meta horror. And I think that horror movies come like I think horror is like the only genre that can be really I'm gonna be proselytized for horror. I think horror is probably the best genre that we have as a society to critique society because it's you can't fake horror you can't like you can't churn out horror in a way that is disingenuous and have it still be scary it can be successful uh i think that i, I think blumhouse gets a lot of shit for like being like kind of trash but i, I think that they do all right but you, it can be successful but like it it's it doesn't necessarily be as scary as it could be and so i think that horror is the hardest genre to fake and so by nature that nature like it's the best genre for delivering critiques about our society and so and it's all, and because of that, it's the only genre that can really have like a meta genre. Like you know, like there is no like real like real meta action. Is there? It's like a really a meta action genre. I guess like, the um, like blast action hero, but like yeah, that's not that's, 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 that's a good movie though. I, yeah. that's, a, that's a really good movie though. I really like the last yeah, action is. hero. Yeah. Um, it is, like, but like you can do one of those. You, you yeah. can have you can have satire. You I mean you can have like you know Paul Verhoeven X S like satire. You can have that kind of thing. But you but it, it, it would but when you satirize other genres, it can it really I think it, it's more easy to lose like the heart of that genre. But where yeah. horror, it's like satirize. You know, making meta horror has become a pretty you know standard aspect of horror. Like you're you're now expected to reference. It yourself you know you're expected to play on genre tropes you're expected to do things because you have to like jack said earlier otherwise it's not scary otherwise you know at a certain point your characters have to be at least seemingly aware of the same things that the audience is aware of because like you have to be able to supplant yourself with them in order to be scared i think i mean i've seen lots of shitty horror movies 
and where it's like it's impossible to it's like impossible to be scared because the characters act in such stupid ways or because everything is so completely i don't know uh obtuse like saw <laughs> like, like, like saw or well, like, saw is like, just like kind of disconnected from humanity altogether i kind of feel like like i never i don't like connect with those characters even before all the uh torture starts happening it's hard to because like all the characters in Saw are bad people, right? <laughs> like, like everyone, like that's the whole premise of the movie. Like everyone is bad and they're being punished. So like it's not so it's like it's hard to connect with them. And I mean, of course, there are more sort of substantive academic differences between like horror and terror, like which like are two different things. Mm-hmm. You know, when you talk about gothic literature and gothic genre, where like horror is more like psychological. I'm sorry, terror is more psychological and horror is more sort of graphic and stuff like that. Or it might be vice versa, but I'm pretty sure that's right. And so. I, you know, I like horror as a genre because two things, like I always say horror and pornography get at the heart of society. You can't (laughs) fake what makes you scared. You can't fake what makes you hard. So it's just like. (laughs) Yeah, these are the two things. They're more guttural. Drama. Drama just slides by. It's too easy to make a drama, I think. (laughs) Yeah, because emotions are complicated. Emotions are complicated and and they're culturally mediated, right? So like. Uh, happiness, sadness, you know, things like things like that are culturally mediated. You know, their expressions are culturally mediated. What causes them the proper way to sort of perform them are culturally mediated. But fear and arousal are affectations. They're 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 pure. They're pure responses to things. But of course, you know, we as societies we have sort of different things that make us scared or horny based on how we're sort of enculturated and socialized. But you can learn about a society because of that. Like you can learn like what a society is afraid of by watching their harm. We like look at the ring and Japanese horror is its own genre that doesn't necessarily always translate to American and our car and our heart doesn't always translate over there. But you know, it's um it's it, it's it's a good way to sort of in engage with another society, like understanding what makes them afraid. Like I said, for example, American horror is always set in idyllic exurban areas like suburbs or rural environments. You know, you have like your Texas Chainsaw Massacres or your Hills Have Eyes or your, you know, sorority house massacres and all like all these things that take place outside of urban environments. But British horror tends to be set in urban environments. And the reason be- is because American society has an entire history of colonial of colonials, I'm not colonial, but colonialism and sort of manifest destiny and settling the West in this fear of, you know, unsettled spaces that British society doesn't necessarily have. But and but they do have this sort of fear of, you know, urban environments. So like it's a it's like it's a really interesting kind of way to understand people. Absolutely. And I just gonna since you mentioned J horror, I wanna put a pin on this. The best horror franchise is the grudge one. Most consistently good horror franchise. I mean, I like. I, I I've like, I mean I've only ever seen parts of the original three. Um, and I've I've seen the, the I've seen the remake. I see with the with um Sarah Michelle Geller who was also in yes. Scream. Scream Two, and she gets her ass kicked in Scream Two. By the way, that was really funny to watch after years of seeing it. Like I I, I guess she, I'm sure she had like the time of her life getting thrown out that window because uh, she was usually such an ass kicker, and here she was just like a normal person, and yeah, she got gutted. Yeah, and I mean that's a good scene too. I mean that's like that's the one she's just like that's the one where. Uh, they call her on the phone and she's in a sorority house and, you know, it's kind of it's like weird sorority house massacre type pastiche. And she's just like, I hate those movies because there's always some big breasted blonde bimbo who runs upstairs <laughs> when she should be running out the door. Yes. 
and um, she and she does end up running up the stairs and then because down she can, because the door because the door because he's at the at the front door yeah <laughs> it's great yeah but uh, we've talked a lot about scream about the nature of horror thank you so much for uh, for coming on again Brandon where can people find you you can find me on Twitter at. Uh, Pretty bad lefty. It's spelled how it sounds: P R E T T Y B A D L E F T Y. Or you can find me on my podcast uh, on uh, my podcast, The Discourse. Uh, you can find it through my Twitter account, but you can also find it on SoundCloud at The Discourse. It's the only one, real one, I think. And you know, you can find me on Patreon at patreon.com backslash expanded discourse, where we have extra content for subscribers. My writing, you know. It's great. It's all great. All right, cool. Thank you so much for coming on, man. Peace. Of course. Thank you. Like what you hear, want to hear more? Check us out at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus or struggle session.substack.com for all our public episodes, commercial free, as well as hundreds of bonus episodes. Thank you to all our listeners for holding us down five years strong.